Hey everyone, welcome. This is Lucas Granger, lead pastor of Coastal Church. It is our hope that you will find this podcast today challenging, inspiring, and practical as we seek to reach the world with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. If you would please open with me in the scriptures to the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians and chapter 6. We're going to read a portion of scripture this morning starting in verse 10. Paul writing this to the church. And he's written this letter and he gets to the end of it and he says, listen, this is a final word. In other words, he's wrapping it up. This is what I want to get in you guys. I want you all to know this. Final word. Now, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor So you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition... To all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and in every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers and all for all the believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I could boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message. He's in chains. Something's happened. Something's gone wrong. But he's still saying, listen, it doesn't matter what's happened. Even in chains, I'm preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him just as I should. So Paul's writing this letter to this church. Uh, the book of Ephesians is really a book about unity. He's bringing about, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm not him, but you... I didn't know if I was going to make it, y'all. Let me get suited up here. This one's already, you got it on too, and it's already on. Hey, can we give it up for the sound man? All these guys. Kevin and Ron and man, all these guys, I, I tell you what, there's certain people that when we serve at the church, when they do something wrong, most people don't notice it. When the sound man does something or something goes wrong, everyone's just like, who did that? It's the sound guy's fault. And which we're convinced that 99% of the problems arise from the sound guys. So I'm just joking with y'all. I love you guys. We could, man, these guys are awesome. They put up with me. So it's, pray for your sound, man. That's what Paul's trying to say here. Uh, He's writing this letter to this church. He's talking about unity in the faith, 
He's talking about coming together. Uh, he, he's bringing about a certain equality, Jews and Gentiles alike, uh, unity for the body. He's revealing some mysteries. And, and if you're listening or, or you're reading this message for the first time, you're thinking to yourself, wow, man, I, I agree with all everything that Paul is saying. But then he gets to the very end of his letter, and he writes these words that at first you don't know how to react to them. And he says, listen, the battle that we're fighting isn't against flesh and blood. Which, if you're hearing this, you're thinking, it sure does feel like it sometimes. It sure does feel like it, you don't have the boss that I have. I mean, this guy is on me all the time. You, you, you don't know. You haven't been to one of my family reunions. Stuff goes down. People get crazy. Cops get called. I mean, it seems like flesh and blood is a real big battle. I mean, it seems like uh, my neighbor, my next-door neighbor, oh, I mean, talk about a battle. Good fences make good neighbors, and this dude ain't got a good fence. And, and it just kind of seems like, man, Paul, I'm with you. And, and then there's the pastor. He's all up in your business all the time. I mean, it just kind of seems like this whole thing about the battle not being against flesh and blood. Are you sure, Paul? Because if anybody should not be saying these words, I mean, he's been lied about. He's been imprisoned. He's been stoned. I mean, it was, it was flesh and blood that was throwing rocks at him. I mean, I mean he, he, he's, he, he, was, he was stoned. He was beaten. He was left for dead, shipwrecked, abandoned, lied about, thrown in prison. If anyone knows some persecution, if anyone knows some battle, what seemingly looks like flesh and blood, it's this guy. And yet Paul's bringing us into this perspective of like, hold on, wait a minute. There's something bigger going on here. The battle is not against flesh and blood. There's some things happening in the spiritual world that you, you, you have to understand and comprehend because if, if you only look to flesh and blood, that means you'll spend your life fighting against flesh and blood. And, and you'll be fighting the wrong battle because there's some stuff that's going on that you're going to get caught up in this thing and, and you're going to end up losing the war. It, it, it seems like it's a flesh and blood. And here's the thing. While the battle is not against flesh and blood, the enemy sometimes uses flesh and blood. The enemy will, will try to, his best to steal, to kill, and destroy. But here's the thing. Sometimes I, I, I think we forget that there's actually an opposite side of that coin too. So, so while the enemy is trying to do everything he can to steal, to kill, destroy, to get you down, to get you depressed, the other side of the coin is God uses flesh and blood too. God uses me, and he uses you, and he uses other people to show forth his glory to this world. That while, while the enemy's going to do everything he can to, to get you down, God's like, hold on, I'm also going to send people into your life to encourage you, to, to help you, to, to, to hold your arms, to, to raise you up, to, to just speak some life into your soul. And, 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 so, and, and so God uses the same thing, too. Uh, this week I was reading a lot about Nehemiah, and if you're familiar with Nehemiah, it's this great book in, in the Old Testament, and Nehemiah is basically going, and his whole job, he's rebuilding a wall. Uh, the city has been destroyed, and his whole thing is rebuilding a wall, and, and I just thought, God, you're showing forth your glory to the nations in simply building this wall. 
Jerusalem had been, had been conquered. The people had been scattered. They'd been put out into exile. Uh, they're, they're coming back. Uh, worship is being restored. Nehemiah uh, gets word that the walls have been broken down, and he starts rebuilding. And all of a sudden, uh, there's this, this one particular portion of Scripture in the book of Nehemiah where the wall has been completed. It's setbacks, and it says these words. The people looked at the great work that had been done, and they gave glory to God. Did you, did you catch that? They didn't give glory to Nehemiah. They weren't like, oh, Nehemiah, you did so good. They were like, only God could have done this. And God used Nehemiah. And I love the fact that his main job was to just build stuff. I, mean, I think sometimes we get into this idea, this concept that, man, we have to be prophet or priest or all these things. It's like, God's like, no, I want you to be mechanic. I want you to build walls. I want you to survey property. Uh, I, I want you to clean homes. I want you to build houses for my glory so that when people would stand back and look and they would say, look at what God has done. And, and so, so this is happening. All of this is, is taking place. There's, there's Paul bringing it all together and saying, listen, it's not against flesh and blood. There's other things at work here. And we have to realize that as believers, as followers of Christ, you're in a battle. You are in a battle. Now, I know it doesn't seem that way sometimes. Just like it doesn't seem like the battle's not against flesh and blood, it, it doesn't seem like we're in the battle at all because, come on, let's face it, like, we're surrounded by luxuries. I mean, this morning, I sat in the office in this little lazy boy recliner chair with like leather all around it. And, and I'm sitting there and my wife brings me a cold water to drink. And my feet are kicked up. And my, 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 my child is laying on the floor watching this electronic pad that's delivering radio waves from the air, watching Dora the Explorer or something. And, and like all of this is happening while I'm getting ready to talk about us being in a battle, right? It's like we're surrounded by comforts. You could click on a couple buttons and Amazon will be at your door before you get home. They're that fast. It's going to happen, I'm telling you. A drone will fly over and just, what do you need? Like, we live surrounded by this comfort. And so what happens is when everything is comfortable and when everything is just kind of moving at a certain pace and we kind of forget that we're in a battle. We, we, get, we get accustomed to the, well, this is just the, the slow roll of things. Uh, let me put it to you like this. Have you ever uh, rented a movie or gone to the movie theaters? Uh, if you haven't, welcome to America. We, we do these things. But before the movie, they show you like 47 previews. And you've watched so many previews that by the time the movie starts, you forgot what movie you're about to watch. You're like, what movie did I buy the ticket for? I have no clue. Like you've watched so many previews, you've totally forgotten. Or, or, or that moment where you go into Walmart and, and you, were, you said it's only going to be five minutes. It's never five minutes. Walmart in the Greek means at least an hour. So you go into Walmart and you always run into somebody because this is Brunswick County. You will run into someone at Walmart. And, and you're in a rush, but they're not in a rush. And like there's no way out of it. You're just going to talk. But, but they've been talking for so long that you forgot what you can Walmart for. And you're like, man, i got to spend another hour here later. I don't I have no clue. I mean, th this happens. We get, we get zoned out, and sometimes what happens is we lose focus. 
we slowly but surely begin to drift away, and, and we forget that, hold on, we actually, as believers, as Christians, we are very much in a real battle, that there are things going on that we can't see. I love the way even the prophet Amos would say, he would say it like this, he would say, listen, we have, have found ourselves asleep in Zion. And that's exactly what the prophet means when he says, we have found ourselves asleep in Zion. We've, we're in this place where I mean, all of these things are happening. There's a war going on, but we've gotten so comfortable. We've been watching on the gate for so long that we forgot what we've been watching for. And so that way, when the enemy comes in, we're totally, we just, we've, we've become at ease. Uh, and he says this to us, and we drift, and, and Paul reminds us, just hold on. Let, let, let's, let's bring it back into correction. You know those moments where you first get saved and you're just so full of passion? You're so full of energy? And, and, and then a little bit of time goes by, or maybe something doesn't go exactly the way you thought it would go, and, and there's some bad doctor's reports, or something happens, and all of a sudden you begin to become numb. Like, yeah, God's good. Is he? And, and all this, man, all the excitement and all the joy of your salvation. And that's why I think even other people pray, God, restore to me the joy. Restore to me the joy when I was first saved, when I, when I had that, because I have this tendency to drift off. I have this tendency to, to, to get jaded by the things of this world. And, and we live in a world that moves so fast and so slow all at the same time that we easily become jaded to the point where we're like, oh, it's Christmas already. Like, y'all know that moment. It's getting ready to happen. Y'all going to enter into conversations. I mean, people are going to be mad that it's Christmas. I'm like, oh, bummer. You know, we get to celebrate the birth of Christ. Like, seriously, like, it's amazing. This is the coolest day of all, which was Christmas every day. And y'all are complaining about it. I mean, it happens. We drift off. We come jaded by the world, and we've taken it from the battle to the bench. And see, when we sit on the bench, we're really good at pointing fingers. We're sitting on the bench, we're really good, man. I would have slammed that. I would have dunked it all in his face. No, you wouldn't have. You would have been out of breath on the other side of the court because you know you can't run laying in the lazy boy. We we become good sitting on the bench and we forget, no, we're part of the battle. And and I'm just here to remind us this morning, just I think as Paul's reminding this church that, like, there's things that are going on. In the unseen world, there, there, there are evil rulers and principalities, and there is very much a very real enemy that's out to steal, to kill, destroy, and he does not want you to be happy. He does not want there to be any joy in your life. He does not want there to be any peace in your life. He, he, he does not want you to, to come to church and to worship and, and to come home and to lead your family in prayer. He, he wants to do everything he can to, to drive a wedge in your marriage. And all of this is happening, and what I want to do this morning is I want to give you four very practical things, four very practical things to keep us from drifting, to get us back into focus on what's going on. Is that okay this morning? Can we do that? Because does anybody just feel like you just kind of need a little bit of a wake-up call? Of like things have just gotten a little too easy, things have gotten a little bit, I know you can't admit it because... Oh, that would mean, but no, we just kind of need to get recentered a little bit. So the first thing is you've got to stand up. 
Paul says, listen, stand firm against the strategies of the enemy. Stand your ground, and when you've done everything you can to stand, stand some more. You can't fight sitting down. You can't fight sitting down. You, this, this thing that's going on, we've got to get in the game. We've got to get off the bench. You will never go and you will never see guards guarding a palace or a kingdom or, or a president or anybody. You will never see them sitting out in their, in their chairs. They're always standing up. Why? Because they've got to be at attention. Because even though it looks like nothing's happening, things are happening. And I've got to be on the lookout. I've got to be on the watch. We can't become asleep in Zion. Stand up. And I'm not just talking about a physical posture here. I'm talking about the spiritual laziness that we have sometimes. Like, we, we've got to make a stand. We've got to take guard for our families, for our marriages, for our churches, for our county. I don't know about you, but, like, I think God wants to do something special here in Brunswick County. Like, we live in this place that is the in-between Wilmington and Myrtle Beach. You ask people, oh, Wilmington, yeah, Myrtle Beach, yeah, Shalot, what? <laughs> and, and I, like, God loves to use those what kind of places. Like, like, that's, you know, I just, I just can feel it. And I want to be a part of God doing something, and we are a part, but part of it is us standing up and saying, you know what, enemy? Here and no further. You know, he actually says that in the book of Job where, where Job Respond, where God responds back to Job, and he like, kind of puts Job in his place. He says, who, is, who are you uh, to, to counsel me? Now brace yourself like a man. I will question you. You will answer me. Where were you when I formed the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I struck a line upon it? Where were you when I said to the seas, here and no further? I mean, come on. I mean, if God can speak to the ocean and be like, stop, he can speak to your life too whatever it is that you're going through. But there, there comes a point where you've got to make a stand and say, enough's enough. You're not getting one more square inch. You're not going to have me depressed one more day, enemy. I'm standing up. I'm getting up. Yeah, I don't care what the doctor's report says, but you know what? This is the day that the Lord has made, and I'm going to rejoice in it. It doesn't matter. We've got to take a stand. I mean, anytime I talk about take a stand, I always think about Rosa Parks. Because her stand was actually taking a seat. She, you know what? I've gotten up way too many times before. I've gotten up way too many times from this seat before. I've given my seat up. Today, I ain't getting up. And it just sparked a movement. And so we've got to get to the point where we say, you know, sometimes our stand is a sit. <laughs> no more. That's it. We've got to take a stand. I uh, go back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah uh, in chapter 1. You don't have to get there, but this is a great book uh, to read this week. Nehemiah says this at the beginning. It's late in autumn. It's the 20th year. There's the king, Xerxes. He was in reign, and he was at his fortress in Susa. So here goes Nehemiah. He's found himself in the king's palace. He's in a very comfortable place. He's the cupbearer to the king, and, and, and things are good. Nehemiah has a cushy job. He, he, he's got it made. But then all of a sudden, his boys come back into town, and he asks this question. He says, what, what about the Jews that returned from captivity? How are things going in Jerusalem? 
He wants to know, how are things? I'm I'm over here. Things are good. I'm just chilling, but I I need to know. And to which they respond to me, it's not good. There's great great trouble. There's disgrace. The walls have been torn down. The gates have been destroyed with fire. It says this, and when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned and I fasted. See, news of his town And the state in which things were in broke him down to the point where he's sitting down, he's weeping, he's mourning, he's fasting, and says, and I prayed to God. I prayed to God. See, Israel had been destroyed. The Babylonians had came in. Uh, They had taken the people captive. They had spread Israel out. So there's there's captives all over the place. Uh, The Persians come in. They come in power. They release the Israelites to go back into Jerusalem. So all of a sudden you have this worn, torn group of people that are heading back to a city that's in shambles. Where's Rich at? Rich, you're from Michigan. There's a few Michiganders in the house. Is there a few Michiganders in the house? I know y'all don't want to admit it anymore. Like, y'all made it down south. See, but this, when I read this, I thought of Rich this week, and I thought of Detroit. Because Detroit is this city that at one time Detroit was, like, booming. Industry, automobiles, people were going all over to come to Detroit. I mean, they were manufacturing, things were happening, and all of a sudden Detroit just, like, became in shambles. Uh, Big business left, industry left, and, and Detroit just got, man. And so it's kind of, kind of been this, on the slowly revitalization process through the years now of trying to rebuild Detroit. There's been all of these attempts to try to revitalize Detroit. Uh, and, and I just, I thought about that. I was thinking about Jerusalem. I'm thinking about this. But what got me is even for some of us, when we talk about Detroit, we're like, who cares? It's Detroit. It's not the beach. Like nobody retires and moves to Detroit, right? And the reason why you don't think that It's because you haven't been there, and you don't have family there, and you don't have friends there, and your mama ain't there. And see, but if we talk about this to Rich, we talk about some people that, that, man, see, you don't know. See, I grew grew up there. I've got some friends. I've got some family. So there's something when you talk about that place and you talk about it being broken down, my heart goes out to it. And and I want to see it. I want to see it thrive again. I want to see it do well again. My heart hurts for it. And, and so when Nehemiah has heard about the state of Jerusalem, he's like, my heart's hurting for it. I, 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 I got to do something. And here's the thing. It's personal. It's very, very personal. Um, I spent quite a few years in Indonesia. And so whenever I get news of different earthquakes or things happening in Indonesia, man, my heart breaks. I find myself on my knees praying. Why? Because I know kids there. I lived in an orphanage there for years with kids that I helped, and I just think, I hope those kids are all right. Why? Because it's personal. And, and this, is, this is what I'm getting at here. Nehemiah is in this place. He's cut bare to the king. He's got the best job. But all of the comforts in the world doesn't heal his broken heart. See, we could surround ourselves and have all of the comforts, and we, we could set up the system in which everything is working to our benefit, but when we hear about a place that breaks our heart, man, it's personal. Um, Alan, he got to live in Hawaii for six years, or something like that, four years, or I'm not good with numbers. 
16 years. He lived in Hawaii. I don't know. That's not a fact. Y'all ask him after service. And, and he, he moved back, and we're like, man, everybody's like, why would you move from Hawaii? Right? And he's like, but my friends are here. My families are here. I, I, I grew up here. It's, it's personal here. And so what breaks your heart? What's personal to you? What is it, something in your life that it's time that you took a stand on? Uh, that, that it's no longer good enough to just hear the report of it being broken. No, I've got to do something about this. And, and here's the thing. Nehemiah goes to the king. And Nehemiah tells the king what's going on. And, and the king gives him letters. He, he gets all the material he needs. He, get, he gets, uh, we could go another place, get wood and, and concrete, all the stuff he needs to do. And here's what caught me. You know, the king didn't really care anything about Jerusalem. The king cared about Nehemiah. Sometimes there are these moments where people will buy into you before they'll buy into your vision. They will buy. See, see, the king just knew there was something about Nehemiah that I, I don't know what it is. I don't want him to leave. He's got to be a part of it. He's, he's coming to my presence and he's sad. Something's wrong. Nehemiah, what's going on? Nehemiah throws it out there and he's like, man, I've, I've got to look after my boy. Uh, if he wants to build a wall, I don't, I don't care nothing about this thing, but I care about Nehemiah. And so people will invest in you sometimes before they invest in your cause. I mean, think about the disciples. Jesus just rolled up to the beach one day, follow me. All right, we out. <laughs> what do they know about the gospel? They don't know nothing about the gospel. All they know is here is a rabbi saying, come on, saying I'm good enough. We out, dad, peace. You got to do the fishing net yourself. And they just left their dad, left boats, left everything. Because Jesus was saying, come on, let's do something. He took a stand. Have you ever seen that show Shark Tank? I love the show Shark Tank. These guys are investing in other people's companies, and they give these ideas. And there was this one lady that, that she had this one idea, and I thought, man, it's just a horrible idea. She's before the Shark Tank, and they're all doing their thing. And the one lady makes this comment. She's like, you know what? I don't even really know if I've think this idea is good or not, but I think you are, and I'm willing to invest in your company. Because she saw something in that person that was willing to like, I, I don't even know, but I'm going to invest in you because I think if anybody can make it work, you can. And, and I just think this is, this is a beautiful thing, that, that people could see that in us, that God has deposited something in us that the world is waiting to see, but it takes us taking a stand. You've got to take a stand. So the first thing, stand up. Second thing, suit up. Paul writes to this church, he's like, once you've taken a stand, listen, put on the full armor of God. Suit up. You've got to be prepared for the battle, which is amazing because it just lets me know right now that things aren't going to be easy. If God is giving you some armor, it's because there's a reason for that armor, a, a, a breastplate, that is an ancient bulletproof vest. Why is God giving me a bulletproof vest? Because there's a good chance you might get shot. That's what the scriptures say. Where's Kenneth at? Kenneth is a, he, he, is a, he is a cop. And when he became a police officer, what they gave you? They gave you a gun and they gave you a vest. Why? 
because the dangers of your job, you might get shot. When you enlisted and you became a Christian and you gave your life to Christ, let me tell you right now, there's a good chance some bullets are going to come your way. Because you've now stepped onto the side of the Lord and the enemy is out to steal, to kill, and destroy. And God says, suit up. I got your helmet for you. I got your belt. You can't have saggy pants in the kingdom. You got to suit them up. I'm just joking, too. You can have saggy pants. It's just it's a metaphor. But, all, I mean, but think about it. God gives us, he gives you a sword, not so you can walk around and it just be shiny to everybody. Oh, look at my new sword, y'all. This is nice. This is a nice sword. This is my new four-wheel drive truck. I ain't never going to use the four-wheel drive on it, but it's nice. No, it's meant to be used. God gave you a sword. He gave you a helmet not to keep the sun out of your eyes. It ain't like the new Oakleys. No, like, because there's going to be something flying your way. And, and so, like, it's not going to be easy. And, and we live in this society that's told us, give your life to Christ, and it's going to be awesome, and rainbows are going to come down, and unicorns will show up. And, like, it's, it's just not true. And, and what's happened is the underlining current, the underlying thought is this, that when everything goes right, you must be blessed. And when everything goes wrong, God must be dissatisfied with you. That's the thinking behind that. And it's so far from the truth. But let's be honest. When we're going through it, when things start going wrong, the first thing of, well, God, I, I don't, did you really speak to me? I don't know. I thought you. Is this your will? And then, God, I don't know. All this stuff is happening. Of course all of this stuff is happening. You're moving with God now. And so sometimes I think we've got to get into our mind that, that things being easy doesn't mean it's God's approval. As a matter of fact, sometimes the discomfort means it's God's approval. Sometimes it's the rejection that means good job. But, but I stepped out in faith, and, and I talked to them, and, and they just rejected me. Yep. They did it to Jesus, too. It's part of it. And so we've got to, like, we've got to suit up. We've got to put on this thing. Because here's the thing. Nehemiah goes in. He has this dream. Like, we're going to help the city. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna rebuild this wall. We're going we're gonna to fix things. Not everybody's going to be happy with your plan. You're going to reach out to people. You're going to want to help your neighbors. Not everyone's going to enjoy it. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah goes on. There's these two boys, Sam Ballot and Tobiah. Crazy names. But that's what their mama named them. Sam Ballot and Tobiah. If your name is Sam Ballot in here this morning, I apologize. There's no telling. That's a great name. I, I don't know. What so, but they are threatened by Nehemiah. And, and they're trying to do everything they can to get Nehemiah to stop the work. And you know what Nehemiah basically does? He's like, nope. I got a good work I'm doing right here. And here's the thing. It even gets to the point, while they're building this wall, that it says, that some of them were, had a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. Now, OSHA would have all kinds of problems with that. <laughs> that is not safety code. Like, you know, like, hey, like, I would get hurt. I would, hey, guys, it was a good day at work. You know? <laughs> some of y'all caught that. on the, uh, So it's true, though. Like, but imagine going into work, and you've got to work with a sword in one hand and trying to swing your hammer with the other. That's a difficult day. And yet that's what they had to do. And that's what we have to do sometimes. 
Like, it would be great if it all just kind of worked out and it all just flowed easily. And, well, no, not everyone's going to be happy. Not everyone's going to be behind you. Not everyone's going to cheer you on. Be careful of the people that don't celebrate the goodness that God's doing in your life. I can't stress that enough. Be very, very careful of the people that are unwilling to party with you. If you can't celebrate me, if you can't celebrate what God's doing, whoo, red flag. I'm telling you, this is like one of the biggest key indicators for someone that got some Pharisee spirit up in them. They cannot celebrate. They cannot party. They cannot be happy to you when you got that promotion. All they can say, well, I should have got that promotion. Mm, red flag. I, that's not the sermon today, but I'll talk about, more about that another time. Y'all learn that lesson real quick. I mean, we actually, uh, <laughs> I was talking to one gentleman. Like, we've, we've experienced 85 people giving their lives to the Lord just this year. Yeah. Amazing, right? Like, that's the reaction. I'm like, yeah. I talked to one dude. It was like, oh, yeah, that's good. Are you? 85 people that came out of darkness into the light that are no longer going to hell, that are living for, for Christ now, that who knows how, who they've affected their families and their children's and generations to come. Yeah, that's nice. Okay, dude, it was nice seeing you. Back to the sermon this morning. You've got to stand up, you've got to suit up, and you've got to pray up. Paul says, listen, I'm praying more than all you guys. Listen, I'm praying constantly. I'm praying for all. Like, you have got to pray because remember, the battle's not against flesh and blood. There's some things going on in the unseen world, and you've got to be prayed up. You've got to be prayed up because your prayers literally change things. Like, we just sang this song about here as in heaven. So, like, the things that we do here, there, there's this correlation in which there's, a, there's an effect that takes place in our worship. We change things in our worship. We change things in our prayer. Man, there's this, imagine this, this scene of walking into a room and there's this a one-way mirror. You can't see the other side, but on the other side, they can see everything that's happening in that room. See, right now, on this side of eternity, we're living on this side of the one-way mirror. We can't see all of the stuff that's going on right now, but they can see it. And, and when our prayers go out, and, and when our worship goes out, we literally change things. The atmosphere is changing. It does change. And so, like, you've got to pray up. Here is a man that's writing a letter to this church that even in his imprisonment, listen, listen, I'm celebrating with you guys, and I'm praying day and night. Nehemiah prayed. David prayed. Daniel prayed. Jesus prayed. Paul prayed. Because, listen, there is this battle that's going on. The mistake is to think that the battle is over your house or your car or your bank account. Or, or even to think that the battle is really over you. The truth is the battle is over your worship. You see, the enemy doesn't care anything about you. He don't care about your kids. The lying, the stealing, the destroying, the killing, that is all a means to get to his ultimate end. And the ultimate end is he wants the worship that's due Jesus. He, he, he even says this whenever, whenever Jesus is being tempted. Listen, I'll give you all this stuff. I'll give you all of the kingdoms of this world if you will just bow down and worship me. 
He wants, like, look at, look, at the, look at the book of Job. All of the stuff, all of the things, all of it for the purpose of what? Trying to get him to what? To just worship him instead of worship God. And, and I think Job's wife sums it up so clearly of what, he, what the enemy's trying to do. Where she looks at Job in the midst of his pain and hurt and brokenness and says this to him. She says, won't you just curse God and die? And that's what the enemy's trying to get you to do. He's trying to get you to look at everything that's gone wrong and everything that's not worked out the way you thought it was going to work out so that you would curse God and die. And so there's this battle that's going on, and you've got to be prayed up. Prayer changes everything. Jesus, right before going to the cross, he says, like, all right, boys, we're going to this garden. We're going to hang out. What are we going to do? We're going to pray. Before, before all this goes down, we got to pray. He goes to this place, this garden, this, uh, this place where it literally translates the oil press of God. And it's where his will and God's will is coming together. And there's this pressing, there's this place where he's praying it so intently that there's blood drops coming from his forehead. And he says this, God, nevertheless, if this cup could pass for me, nevertheless, let it, but not my will, but yours be done. God, I'm pressing into you. I'm pressing into you. He, he was prayed up. And so whenever he looked at that cross, he could say, the joy that was set before me. See, to the rest of the world, it looks like y'all are killing me, but the truth is, I'm laying my life down. See, to the rest of the world, it, it, it looks like I'm about to be defeated, but the truth is, I'm about to win. And the same is true of your life and my life. It may look like you're defeated, but the truth is, when you're a child of God, even when you lose, you win. <laughs> Stand up, suit up, pray up. Last thing, speak up. When Nehemiah came before the king, the king asked him what's wrong. It was time to say something. Uh, uh, Paul here in, in, in his letter, he says, listen, I've got to speak boldly what God has put into my heart. We have got to stand up, suit up, pray up, and speak up. It is far too long that we've stayed silent. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Like, you've got to say something. You've got to make a stand. You've got to say, you know what? This is it. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not this undercover Christian anymore. Like, do your coworkers know that you believe in Jesus? Like, does your neighbor, like, we, we, we are this overwhelming, silent majority here in America. There literally are more of us than there are of them, in, in, in the sense of saying there are more people that profess to be Christians and believers of Christ than those that profess not to know Christ by survey standards. And so why is it that we are so silent on so many things? Why is it that we're constantly playing defense when we should be playing offense? Why is it? It's time to take a stand, to fight with every last breath of your body, that I will not go down silently I will not go down into the night. I will rage 
because he is good. And I don't know about y'all, but he's been good to me. He's been good to me. He's given me grace, and please stand to your feet. He's given me grace that I do not deserve. He's given me mercy that I do not deserve. If not, but the grace of God. And so, God, if you have me build walls, if you have me write letters, if you have me build houses or survey lots or, or sing or worship or whatever it is, God, that you would get the glory because you are worthy of all the praise. God, you've given me this armor for a reason. God, I want to use it. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you would like to explore more resources just like this, take a moment and download the Coastal Church app. Also, if you would like to give financially to support the ministry here at Coastal, go to mycoastalchurch.com slash giving. God bless and have a wonderful week.